Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I hope you are doing well this morning. We're going to be looking into Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. So if you have a Bible with you, it'd be good to keep that open. Uh, we're continuing on from last week where Charles looked uh, particularly at a small part of Jesus' sermon in chapter 6, uh, particularly about the idea of Jesus as the source of wisdom. And today we're going to see a bit more about what Jesus' ministry actually means for the reality that we live in. Uh, but before we get into that, let me just pray for us as we continue. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is always with us, a God who teaches, a God who loves, a God who, who grows us in you. Lord, we pray that you open our hearts and our minds to listen to your words clearly, that we know and understand your will for us in our lives. Lord, we pray that you will be with uh, the words that are spoken, that they are words that glorify your kingdom and bring honour to your name. And we bring all this before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, now more than ever... It seems like we live in a world uh, where reality uh, is not certain. Uh, you only have to look at the way that we are interacting with facts and truth uh, lately to see how it can become really confusing to know what is the real reality of what we live in. Uh, it, many of this is to do with the, the rise of postmodernism in the 50s and 60s and it colliding with our sense of individualism today uh, to this idea of almost a self uh, creating reality of the world that we live in. Uh, one of my sort of pet pleasures, uh, enjoyment in life with my wife is to watch reality TV. Um, we were watching one particular show where this woman was caught uh, in, in a cheat, in a lie, so to speak, uh, and she confessed the lie, uh, confessed the cheating, uh, but was somewhat vague in her explanation. Uh, and when pursued about her vagueness and her her admission, she responded by stating that she had shared her truth of what had happened. Uh, it's a very uh, frustrating statement to hear for me because what is her truth? What does that even mean? Is it just a justification? Uh, what does it mean to be in a world and what does it mean to understand the true reality of that world? I was reading yesterday a, an article by a scientist describing that both Christians and scientists cannot coexist because Christians do not see the true reality of this world. That faith is contrary to reality. My challenge for you today as we read through Luke chapter 7 verses 1 to 10 is to see how true faith expressed in the Bible is all about understanding the real reality of the world that we live in. The faith that we see here today is one of truth that understands the world around them. We start off in our chapter uh, beginning where Jesus has finished his, his speaking. He's finished his sort of sermon on the plains, as Charles described last week, and he enters into a town. Uh, and we described this was just, uh, from chapter 7 verse 2, it says, There's a centurion servant whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. Uh, we're presented, it's interesting, we actually shift from focusing on Jesus to focusing on this centurion who hopes to restore his servant to full health. Uh, it's been argued by some that the centurion is more concerned about the value financially of his servant uh, but what we can kind of tell with the words used here is that the centurion really cares for and loves his servant and is worried about his health and his eventual death. Uh, it wasn't uncommon for Romans, particularly Roman soldiers and commanders, to, to be on the lookout for prophets, people of power and wisdom, 
And so now we get this idea that Jesus' power, Jesus' miracles, Jesus' message has been spreading far. And this centurion is eager to, to, to try and get this prophet that he's heard about to come to him and heal his servant. And so what he does is he doesn't come to him himself, but he sends his sort of delegation of Jews that he knows. Uh, he, as a centurion, he would have been in command of the town. He would have been responsible for its safety and its governance. And he sends Jews to ask Jesus to come and heal his servant. Uh, and we're actually confronted with, by the Jews here of this idea of what the reality of the world that they live in is. Because the Jews, when they come to him, they say this. They come to him and they say, this man deserves to have you do this. When the Jews came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, this man deserves to have you do this. Because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. And so Jesus went to them. I said to you today that we're looking at what true reality is, and here we have the Jews presenting their reality. They come to Jesus on behalf of the centurion and tell Jesus to heal the centurion's servant because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. The Jews come to Jesus and say, this man is worthy of your power. And yet the reason they give for the worthiness is because he has financially supported them. Because he has been a benefit to them, the Jews. They don't come to Jesus and they say, this man is faithful and honours God and loves people. This man has prayed earnestly and done other things. They come to him and say, this man is a benefit to us. This man has grown out, given us money to grow our church and done other things. And it's interesting, in the previous chapter, uh, Jesus has spent a lot of time removing barriers of ins and, like this idea of an in and out culture of, that the Jews had developed. You have those who are in God's kingdom and those out, and that they, those that are out can never get in because they are not Jews. And yet the Jews come here again, and they sort of come to Jesus with that same attitude of like, the centurion is in because he's helped us. And yet Jesus agrees to go with them. Uh, we can clearly tell that Jesus, from his previous verse, is not going to be addressing uh, this issue because this centurion has done uh, lots of good things for the church financially. Uh, and something is going to happen that will help us understand why Jesus goes with them. But as I read this first few verses, I was really struck by this attitude that I think consumes many of us, that we as Christians often are drawn to others who are of benefit to us not to others who are in need or who are spiritual and grow us. It's been really heartbreaking over the last many, as in my adult life, watching Christians align themselves with the world because of the benefits it brings them personally. Watching Christians spend lots of time uh, bringing in people who have nothing to do with the church because they know they'll benefit. And we all do this in one way or another. We do this in social circles. We might suck up to the sort of dominant social figure. I say suck up, that's a bit of a crude way to put it. We might seek their attention, seek their approval. In our workplaces, we might want our boss to notice us and see him as the most important. Uh, it's interesting when we, share, when we get together as Christians and we go, share someone in your life that you really value and admire. We often talk about our bosses or people in our workplaces. Uh, often we don't talk about the faithful Christian who, from a secular point of view, is a failure, and yet from a faith-filled point of view, is a success. 
And here in this passage, the Jews have that same attitude. They have come to Jesus and they have said, heal this man because he is of benefit to us. The first reality that is expressed here, the first idea of faith is that the people that matter are the people that benefit us. But then, as the passage continues, we get, this, we get the response from the centurion and his idea of the reality of the world that he lives in and what that means for him. So as Jesus is going, we read this. It says, he was not far from him. He was not far from the house where the centurion sent friends, when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. That one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion won't even draw near to Jesus. Not because he, doesn't, he considers it a waste of his time or he considers Jesus unclean, but because he himself knows that he is not worthy to stand in the presence of Jesus. This is a man who knows the God of the Bible, who, know, who recognizes who Jesus is and refuses to stand before him because he knows that he is unworthy. He is not worthy to have him under his roof. He is not worthy to approach him. So he sends a servant to speak on his behalf. Uh, it, it might seem at first that this is an act of rudeness. I'm not even going to come to you and send a servant. But no, this is, this is this message here, this idea of the servant is the one who speaks. The servant is the one who has the honour of standing before Jesus because the centurion knows he is not worthy. He sends his friends and his servants to speak on his behalf. And it's a real challenge for us today. What does it mean to be worthy of God? Uh, we are, I think, for the most part, bad judges of our own personal righteousness. And I think part of that is because, particularly in a Western cultural context, we evaluate our righteousness, our goodness, on the comparison to other people. And as long as we are not evil, as evil as a set group, we consider ourselves good. And it's, it's the same response you hear time and time again in Australian culture. Why do you think you're going to heaven? Because I haven't been a bad guy. I haven't killed anyone. I haven't done anything wrong. And yet here we have a centurion, a leader, who is considered a valuable and wondrous person by the religious authorities, coming and saying, I am not worthy to even stand before Jesus or have him under my roof. We are all unworthy to stand before Jesus. We are all unworthy to even talk to God. None of us deserve a place in heaven. None of us can say before God, I haven't been a bad person. Because when, while we compare ourselves to the murderer, sure, we, we, we succeed. But when we compare ourselves to God, and when God compares himself to us, we fail miserably. But while the centurion knows this, he still believes that Jesus has the power and will heal. 
And he gives you this analogy that while the centurion can command men and they will fulfill his will, he knows that Jesus commands the very nature of existence and it will bend to his will. He considers himself unworthy, but he knows the power of Jesus. I say to my servant, do this, and he doesn't. He knows that Jesus will say this and it will be. This is a man who understands his place in the reality of his existence, that he is unworthy, but understands that in that reality, Jesus has the power to say and do anything and can and will. And so he asks of Jesus, despite his unworthiness, with a confidence that Jesus has the power to do these things. It is a man who knows true reality that expresses to us true faith in God. In the last part of the passage, Jesus affirms this reality and he affirms the faith of this. And it says from verse 9, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such a great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house of the servant and found him well. There are only two instances in the whole Bible where Jesus is amazed at something. There is Luke chapter 7, he is amazed at the faith of the centurion. And there is Mark chapter 6, he is amazed at how poorly the Jews have faith, at how much they have fallen away. Jesus is amazed at the faith of a man who did not even consider himself to come near to God, who those who believe themselves religious would have assumed that he would not be allowed into heaven, and yet he can then condemns the faith of those who believe themselves righteous. And it's interesting in this passage that the actual healing that takes place is just like a bit of a, oh, and then the servant was better. Uh, and it's because the, 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 the author of Luke, uh, Luke, doesn't want us to focus so much on the miracle, but the faith of the centurion. Jesus affirms that this centurion understands who he is in this world and who Jesus is in this world. He understands the real reality of the human existence. And he affirms that that no one is worthy to stand before God, but Christ has the power to overcome that. And what we're seeing here in this passage is this microcosm for Jesus' whole mission. This fulfillment of his previous sermon on the plains where he said that all of the divisions were all of the things, the blessed will be the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are all those, that is all going to come through Jesus. He's going to take the unworthy, the unrighteous, the unable to come near to God, and through his power over the very nature of reality, bring forgiveness and salvation to all. That is the reality that the centurion understands. The centurion understands the real world that he lives in, his place in that world, and Jesus' place in that world. My challenge to you this morning uh, is to consider what is your place in this world? What is the reality that you live? True faith is not a rejection of a reality, but an understanding of what it actually is to be in this world. Uh, we are at a very troubled time in this, in this world. We, are, we have more and more uh, disruptions to our life than we've ever had. We've had more and more uh, acts of sort of rebellion and frustrations upon ourselves and our governments and, and other things like that. And we are more and more getting angry at one another. And we are more and more struggling to understand true reality. 
my encouragement to you is to think about where you stand with Jesus right now. Uh, you might be hearing this for the first time and I want you to think, are, are you a good person? Are you going to stand before God and have a justifiable reason for him to let you in based on what you've done? Or are you willing to come to God and come to Jesus believing that he has the power to change that, to change you, to change this world through his death and resurrection? I was uh, convicted a few years ago talking about evangelism and I, uh, I remember trying to think about why sometimes I'm hesitant to share the gospel with people. And sometimes I think I'm hesitant to share the gospel because I don't think the gospel is necessarily powerful. Like for me, it's changed my life. But I feel that if I share it with this person, nothing will happen. And when I, when I realized that, when I realized that's where my mind was, I realized that I had forgotten how powerful Jesus was, how powerful his message is. The world is in desperate need of someone to change them, of someone to bring about real change in their life and help them to see the truth of their sin. And that is what Jesus can do. Uh, you might be sitting here today believing and confident in your salvation, and my encouragement to you is to know that this world needs Jesus now more than ever. This world is lost, it is hurting. There are people that are in need of Jesus. And they need to know the real reality of the world that they live in. Our challenge today is to consider ourselves as unworthy and Jesus as all-powerful. And in his power, we know that he will bring us salvation and that we will stand together as his children on the last days. Let me finish in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is always with us, a God who has loved us, who has saved us, from our sins, that even though we are not even worthy to eat the scraps that fall from your table, you have brought us and sat us there as your children, adopted by your Son in the cross. Lord, we pray that you will help us to honour you, to love you, to share this message with the whole world so that they will come to know the real reality of their existence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.